So I need to let you know how this morning started at 2 a.m. with the alarm in the building going off. And then, and then somebody rang our doorbell at the house at about 3. And then uh, something happened. Somebody was knocking on the door on the side of the house at about 4. I couldn't figure that out. At 5, the alarm went off again. And at 6, I got to go down, come down and go through the building with the police. So what does God need to do to get Dave's attention? <laughs> um, on, on the walk last weekend, if you, if, you, uh, if, if you don't know what a walk is and you're interested in doing something like that, um, come and talk to me. We'll make that happen if you'd like to do that. Or, or if it doesn't sound like that afterwards. But uh, on the walk, there was something that kept happening to me, and this service actually is a little bit about that because I've been interrupted. I've changed the sermon around to just let the Scripture sort of talk a little bit more. But on the weekend, I had about five moments where God just literally said to me, I need you about 40 feet to the left. And when I got over there, something was going on that I had to be in the middle of for one reason or other. I don't know that I had to be in the middle of it, but somebody else had to be in the middle of it. But how do you get to a spot where you come into those situations where you move 40 feet and instead of creating chaos... Peace shows up. Well, today's scripture is kind of about that. But first, I'm going to, so I just want to give you a little roadmap of what we're going to do. I'm going to read um, John or James 4, 11 to 17 out of the New Living, and then I'm going to read it out of the message. And then I'm going to spend some time in in a Dr. Seuss book with you. Okay, so it's a, Let's do that. Let's, uh, this is James 4, 11 to the end. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you're criticizing and judging God's law. I could almost just stop there. Did you know that? That when you're picking apart somebody else, you're actually saying God's law isn't really doing its job. I need to help. (laughs) But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. (sighs) Deep breaths. God alone, who gave the law, is judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. Let me say that... Let's just not ever skip over this little moment where God has the power to save or destroy. Lots of times in our life, we focus on the negative things that are going on in our life, and we focus on the destroy section of the part, but we forgot to recognize that he does the saving, and without him, the saving doesn't happen. Now, you might say, well, that's completely, you know, that's a Jesus thing and all that, but God in Deuteronomy 30, 19 almost cries out to, to the Israelites and says, I come to you today and I ask you to, to choose between life and death. Oh, that you would choose life. That's the way that reads in the language. Oh, choose life. That before he said that, before he offered them life, they had only slavery and death. And then he was offering them life and asking them, imploring them, cajoling them, wooing them, 
choose life. The power to save or destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Don't forget that this is about judging people and then the law is not doing its job and it doesn't apply to you. So look here, you say, today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and we'll stay there for a year and we'll do business there and make profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live this or do that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans, and all such boasting is evil. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Just, just to sort of mix this into the pot, again, I just want you to hear this from a, from a slightly different translation. This is the message. Don't badmouth each other, friends. None of us would ever do that. It's God's word, his message, his royal rule that takes a beating in that kind of talk. You're supposed to be honoring the message, not writing graffiti all over it. God is in charge of deciding human destiny. Who do you think you are to meddle in the destiny of others? And now, I have a word for you who brashly announced today at, la- at, la- at the latest tomorrow, we're going off to such a city for a year. We're going to start a business and make a lot of money. You don't know the first thing about tomorrow. You are nothing but a wisp of fog catching a brief bit of sun before disappearing. Instead, make it a habit to say, if the master wills it and we're still alive, we'll do this or that. As it is, you are full of, full of your grandiose selves. All such vaunting self-importance is evil. In fact, if you know the right thing to do and don't do it, that for you is evil. Okay, that's biting, isn't it? I want to thank Roxanne for changing my sermon title this morning because it did change the direction of the sermon. I'm going to be reading a little bit out of The Cat in the Hat. Thing one and thing two. If you don't know this book, just raise your hand a little bit. I'll make sure I'll get back to you don't know this book. Larry doesn't know this book. Okay, we'll get the pictures down. I'm not going to read the whole thing because that's 10 minutes. Okay, I just don't have the 10 minutes to do it. But thing one, I just want to tell you what thing one and thing two are a little bit of pandemonium in the book. Thing one for today's sermon is... Not trusting God's judgment. Not trusting God's judgment. Or the way he he is at work in the world and his vision for what's going to happen. You're just not trusting it. But thing two is a little bit piled up on top of that. Now I'm going to be self-sufficient. Thing one and thing two. So in this book, Cat in the Hat, He's already come in on a rainy day when there's nothing to do and mom is away. That's the way we say that, right? Yeah. And here he is. He's made a mess and he's got box. And he's going to open his box. And inside the box is thing one and thing two. And out they come. And initially, they're pretty handy, right? They just say, hi. Hi. How are you? Thing one. (laughs) 
<laughs> Just saying that. But as soon as as soon as it goes, as soon as they do that. They start making a mess around the house. And I have one picture here that I just need you to know. Do you see this? This is, this is them flying kites in the hallway. <laughs> do you know anybody that cleans your house that would like you to do that? I, I, just, I just want to make sure that you know exactly where this is coming from. I know somebody who you took really good care of last week. Thank you so much for letting her speak. But I know that if I flew kites in the hallway or did something slightly less rambunctious, she would be fairly unhappy. Because there isn't any way to do it. You can see it as the book goes on, vases are dropping. Or if I use the vernacular, vases are not making it. What's that? Now a drone. Kites are passe. Kites are cool, dude. Drones are just a mechanical thing to to keep you from having to run. (laughs) You know, as far as I can tell, you have to run after a drone, too, when you lose control of it. You have to go, so maybe they don't even work. Some of them actually have auto return. (laughs) That is, like, worse than a remote control on the TV. Every, uh, as, as the American waste gets larger and larger. Anyway, the, uh, look, as you're flying your kites inside the house, this one has gone into a closet and brought part of the wardrobe out on a string. I just want you to know that when you turn thing one in, uh, loose in your life and you start judging other people and your heart starts to get kind of crusty and hard and difficult, you need to know that that is not the plan for your life. Ezekiel 36 will go into that if you want to do that. Here, let me start at about 24. I will sprinkle you with water and make you clean, and I'll remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put a new spirit in you and cause you to follow my decrees. Ezekiel 36, 24 to about 27. Thing one where I start pointing my finger at people, what's the antidote to thing one in your life? Do you know what the antidote to thing one is? A plot understanding that Jesus said this in Matthew 6, that the standard with which you use to judge other people, that's the one you get. <laughs> you, you, I'm, I'm just telling you, you want a nicer standard than that. The way, the way you treat other drivers on the road is the way you get treated. <laughs> right? Let's think about that for a second. Let's be nice and get along a little bit and be nice. As soon as we start judging other people, the antidote for that becomes to understand who you are and what you've done. And there's a little bit more to this antidote than that, too. There is forgive and surrender. But in order to forgive, now we're back on the road again, aren't we? Some of you will know this. I love this from uh, when Jesus is asked by his disciples how many times they should forgive. And I keep going back to this. What? How many times? Seven? Because that's a lot. 
No, not seven, and not seventy, but seven times seventy. Notice Jesus didn't say, every time they do something, forgive it until they do it 490 times. He said, forgive 490 times. Now, the point of 490 times isn't so you can make little check boxes and go, I got the 490, now I don't have to do that anymore. That is not forgiveness in God's economy. Forgiveness in God's economy requires some restoration to the position they had before they did it. It might just be the one thing that they did that you're going to have to spend the rest of your life forgiving. And I'm telling you, you're on the road now. And it's not an easy road. It's got potholes and tough spots. And some spot you might be, in the beginning, you might be saying, I don't... I can't do it, Lord. Do it for me. Sometimes you're going to be able to reach an astounding 3% of forgiveness (laughs) and just ask God to do the 97. You might even get to a spot where you can do 70%. And then the next day you'll be back at 3 going, Lord, I don't get it. But you're going to have to forgive them because did you know this? I need to say this to you that that it's not the things they did to you that make you unclean. Now they might the things they did to you might damage you, it might be hard, it might be horrible, it might be all that, but that's not uncleanliness. It's not the things that come from outside of you that you get on you and that you put in you that make you unclean. It's the stuff that comes out of you. That makes you unclean. So not only do you have to forgive and restore other people, you have to forgive and restore yourself. And how do you do that? Well, the first thing you need to do is this, because now we're almost into thing two, aren't we? Thing two is how do I stop being self-sufficient? How do I turn that horse's head back towards paying attention to God? How do I do that? I'm sorry, I've got something caught in my throat, and I'm not, and I'm out of drink. I think. Excuse me. Um, how do you get to a spot where you forgive yourself? You're going to have to change the tape that's going on inside your head. I'm sorry, MP3. Dave. Not a tape anymore. It's not, it's not a reel-to-reel. It's not a, it's not a track. It's not a cassette. It's not a CD. Now it's just an MP3 file. You know, in between there is AIFF files and all that stuff. Yes, I'm a tech. But you need to change the recording that you hear, and you need to... Thank you, Bill. Thanks. And how do you do that? Well, the first thing you do is you put yourself into a spot where you can start to hear God speaking into your life. You know what that requires? You open this thing every once in a while. This is, I mean, you might think, I need to open a nook. No, you need to open a Bible every once in a while and spend some time hearing God talk to you. You'll hear such incredible things in there, like 
he was not willing that any should perish, but that all should find everlasting life. That they are fearfully and wonderfully made. They are made in my image. I just love them. That, I, that start to put yourself in the story and hear God talk about the the sheep, the one that got away. That He says, "I'm going to go after them, and I'm going to find, and I'm going to seek." And maybe you're not lost, as as a friend of mine just said, um, I just heard the other day, maybe you're not lost far afield. Maybe you're lost kind of right in the middle of the building, like the other brother was, or the lost coin in the building. That, he, that man, he, Jesus, he just cleans the corners out looking for you. Don't get lost in the corners. But how do you do that? How do you start hearing him work? Well, the first thing I need you to do is I need you to think this way. Lord, show me your hand in my life. Now, you might think, that's awesome. I could just see God at work. I could just ask him to show me him, his work in my life. There's a part two of that prayer. Lord, while you're showing me, help me recognize it. Because we are used to not recognizing God at work in our lives, aren't we? We are so used to going, well, I did that. That just happened. I was thinking about this the other day. Um, I have a friend, some of you know Jimmy Meyer, who comes every so often here. He was a missionary in India for 10 years without an organization. And he does this weird thing, like he just shows up and hears from God just super easy. And I've always kind of wanted to be like him. I don't, I don't know, he's, he's the hero, big brother sort of thing in Christ that I, that I wish I was. And and I was scheduled to have lunch with him not too long ago. And he said, well, I can't come. He was driving from Deary, Idaho, to have lunch with me because something was going on. And he said, I can't come. I actually have to be on a corner in Northport at 1130 for something to happen. And I don't know what's happening, but I got to get there. (laughs) Can, Can you be that open to the Holy Spirit? Well, how do you do that? You start to look and then you say, God, open my eyes so I can see. Because just asking him to be at work in your life is not the same as asking for the eyes to see it. But as you do this and you start to see it, you start to learn that he's trustworthy, that he's doing a whole bunch of things in your life. So that suddenly, this last weekend, I was working a walk and I was having these spots where God said, Kip Seven, oh, I need you over there. And I need you over here. And and, and I tell you, I've told Jimmy, I really want to be like him. And he said, well, I really just want to study the way you do. <laughs> so, I mean, we need each other. I'm not, I'm not holding my study up as anything special. What I'm saying is that each of us has something in Christ that we would really long and aspire to. Well, I got a chance this weekend to do that. And the first one went like this. I just, um, a guy walked up to me and he goes, Oh, you're Dave McHugh. I was told to meet you. What you didn't know, what he didn't know, and nobody else knew, is I had just figured out I had left all my talks in Colville. <laughs> and I was in Bonner's Ferry, and somebody says, Well, isn't it on your computer? How many of you know? I don't do anything on the computer, it's all hand done. And, and I gotta tell you, I was a little less than human at the moment. <laughs> Have you ever lost anything on your computer? You might be a little less than human in that moment, right? 
and then God works, and he starts doing it. Well, I was sort of absent from that conversation, as you might guess. And I went over to eat at, at a place. Um, by the way, don't eat there. It's a little burger place right by those. Don't. <laughs> my, my, my immunizations are not up to date enough for that. <laughs> Just, but while I was there, I did the first talk, because that was that night, right? And so, you know, you got to get the one out of the way done. And I was kind of, and I was on the way back and I was going, there was a guy who had been told to meet me and I was not right. And I went and found him. Look, God, go find him. Just start over. You know, it's okay to walk up to somebody and say, you know, can you forgive me? I was not really present last time. Can we just start over? By the way, that's what forgiveness is. Back to my book. I, you know, just a major problem. And then suddenly, mom is on the way home, if you know the book. Mom is on the way home. And, and, and one of the young men says, I need to make sure that I put an end to this running amok in the house. Have you ever felt like thing one and two are running amok in your house? I am just completely in charge of me and... And by the way, if you want to be in charge of you, get your own atoms. You're using God's. Right? So he's going to put them in this net. Funk. How do you put thing one and two in the net and just get rid of them and go plop and just put an end to them? How do you do that? Well, we've been talking about that. If you're going to end judgmentalism in your life, Look to see God at work in somebody else's life. Start praying for them. If you pray, not, by the way, don't pray, Lord, get them. (laughs) Because remember, the way that you measure it out is the way that you get it measured. (laughs) Just, Just sort of a checkpoint. Is that how you'd like somebody to pray for you? Pray for them the way you want to be prayed for. And if you do, I promise you one thing. You're going to begin to fall in love or care. You're going to fall into care for somebody that you're praying for. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever wanted to just fall into care for somebody? I I want to do that. Years before we were pastors, some of you uh, pastors, Karen and I, because she talked about the call and me waiting for her. By the way, technically I did wait for her, but I wasn't ready yet either. So she was waiting for me. She just didn't know it. But we used to drive from the Tri-Cities to Portland along the Washington side because I don't like the freeways and I like back roads and things like that. And we started a habit. We started to pray for the little churches in the little towns we drove through. It's a little thing. We're just zipping through, right? Let's pray for that church. Let's pray for that church. Let's pray for that church. Some of you um, know that my, this is not my first church. I was sent to a church in a town of 500. By the time we were sent to a town of 500, the, guy, the, the district superintendent goes, I know you're from a bigger city, and this is just, I mean, this is completely different than, you know, Colville is 10 times the size. <laughs> An order of magnitude and difference. And it was like, it's okay. 
We had spent 10 years praying for churches in towns of under 1,000 people. The thought of it occurred. Actually, Karen actually said, do you think we're going to get sent to one of those churches we've been praying for? And it almost happened. And then we went to St. John, which is on a little different route. You actually have to be heading to St. John to get to St. John. (laughs) It's really inconveniently located for almost everything around it. It's okay, though, because it's, it's a fabulous place. But I just want to get you back into this spot because there's a question I want to do. That as you start to pray for people, you start to change your attitude and your heart starts changing. I will give you a heart of flesh and I'll remove your heart of stone. Well, that is not one, one is not always instantaneous, is it? Those of you who have had your heart changed, is it, well, yes, it's instantaneous over and over and over again. (laughs) I don't want to, I'm not making light. This is just reality. And how do I become less self-sufficient? I start to recognize all the people I'm dependent on. So when somebody said this morning, what does a pastor do? And they said they take care of everything at the church. What was my response? Margie. I'm dependent upon her. And now I'm dependent on Roxanne. And Linda and Ted and the music team and 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 the people that put stuff do Pi Sunday and the people that clean the church and and what does that allow me to do? It allows me to work on the warming center board and allows me to work with the summer food program and allows me to do I'm dependent. And until I recognize that I'm not dependent, I'm self-sufficient. Until I recognize that I need this God in every single thing I do. And then our mother came in after the house is all clean, okay? Everything's put back in order. Have you ever had your house put back in order? I have. God has done that to me. My house is in, my house is closer in order. I was told the other day that I am about the the most easygoing person the guy had ever met. I'm thinking, who? <laughs> Me? <laughs> Those that work in the office know that I'm a Type A. Did you know that I'm a Type A? I I am a like I organize and and try to control everything, don't I? <laughs> it's true. I know that. But I'm dependent, and so I try to let others do that. Then our mother came in, and she said to us, too, did you have any fun? Tell me, what did you do? (laughs) What did you do? That's what my mom used to say. And Sally and I did not know what to say. Should we tell her the things that went on there that day? Should we tell her about it? Now, what should we do? Well, what would you do? If your mother asked you, should you tell God about what's going on in your life? Should you tell? Yes. He already knows. So go ahead and tell. He's just, right, there's this line from the shack that I just love. We do know, but now we get to see it through your eyes. Tell him 
get into that relationship. Change the tape because when he does, he starts telling you who you are to him. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And down comes the knot, the net on thing one and thing two. If you're the redeemed of the Lord, will you say so? Just tell him, I'm the redeemed of the Lord. That's what that means. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for loving me and for waking me up. Even if I'm solar powered. I thank you so much for the way that you move in my life. I thank you for the people I'm dependent upon that make this church rattle and hum and just go. I thank you for your presence in each of their lives. May your presence be multiplied in each of them. Amen.